Hi there, this is Victor Cook, the executive producer and supervising director of Stretch Armstrong and the Flex Fighters, which you can watch on Netflix. I was also the producer and supervising director of The Spectacular Spider-Man, and I want to wish all the fans of that show a happy 10-year anniversary. You are watching Neil Before Pod. Neil Before Blog presents... Neil Before Pod. Greetings, true believers, and welcome to another web-slinging edition of Neil Before Pod, the podcast that has a tingle for superhero movies. The dust has settled on Endgame, so it's time to move on with the latest Marvel Cinematic Universe entry, Spider-Man Far From Home. To talk Spider-Man, I thought I would assemble the worst of the worst, uh, the biggest villains known to man. So first, he's coarse, he's irritating, and he gets everywhere. That's our own Sandman, Isaac. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) Next up, charging into the conversation, not worrying about who gets in our way, we have our own rhino, Cat. Oh, this is I, so good. that's surprising. Well, next up, he always finds a way to make the technology work, even by zapping it. It's Chris or Electro. Oh, Who you want to be known as? Uh, Makes sense. Hov- oh, yeah, it does. <laughs> uh, hovering over the conversation, waiting to strike at the right moment, pick up the scraps. It's Angus or the Vulture. Buongiorno. <laughs> penultimate introduction is it's her job to distract us from what we're supposed to be talking about our very own mysterio <laughs> natalie oh my god pick uh, <laughs> that fish bowl off <laughs> you're scaring the fish <laughs> and lastly there's me i brought us all together and use my many hands to keep to make sure things run smoothly and craig also known as dr octopus there we are we are the sinister six because why not? Is the sinister never... stick like a real thing? <laughs> <laughs> no, I just made it up. I really want that to be a thing. <laughs> no, it is a real thing. It's a collection of Spider-Man villains, usually six in number, that team up to Wait, fight. Do you really like that? They're quite sinister. <laughs> they are often quite sinister. Yeah. Uh, so there we go. That's everybody. Hi, everybody. Hello. Hi. <laughs> Hello. Yep. <laughs> okay. So, since we have a panel of six, we're not going to do a Neil Before Rise Against this time. The audience all just gave a collective, aww. <laughs> so, uh, we're not doing that. But, we are going to talk a lot about Spider-Man. So, one of my favourite topics. So, let's launch straight into spoiler-free thoughts. I'm going to pick on the Vulture first. Angus, what did you think of Far From Home? Without spoilers. Uh, uh, without spoiling, I didn't know what to expect going in because there was uh, obviously quite a big event happened before this the events of this movie oh really um well there was that whole Thanos deal and Dark Phoenix <laughs> yes <laughs> uh yeah so I kind of had lowered expectations which meant I th- think that I enjoyed a lot of this um but also I think I recognise that it just can't live up to, or maybe I'm not ready for the beginning of a new arc or saga. Okay. 
kind of similar. I think I went in sort of, you know, no, not really knowing, like, all right, you know, we we wrapped that whole, like, 22-movie saga up. Like, what what else have they got to say? And I felt like it was really soon after Endgame for, for this to be happening. Um, so genuinely, I didn't know what to expect. So I went in kind of like, all right, let's see what we've got. And I found myself really, really enjoying all of it. Um, and I loved Mysterio, and I loved, um, you know, sort of Spider-Man's emotional arc in this film. Um, yeah, I had a really good time. And actually, you know, I don't mind that it came out so soon after Endgame now, because um, it was very much tied into that. So, yeah, surprisingly, I really, really enjoyed it. Isaac, what were your thoughts? Uh, I really like this one. I think this might be one of my favourite of the Marvel movies. Cause it's just like mm. super fun and it's got like a nice, it's got like a sort of slightly rom-com side, like side of it and then a more superhero-y side of it. And it's just, just real fun. Just real like, just real fun movie. Natalie, what did you think? Yeah, it was enjoyable, but I thought it had a slow start for somebody who have such a thing like Spider-Man and the number of Spider-Man movies that come out. Um, Do you know what I was? I was pleasantly surprised by this. I thought it was going to be really tough to follow up Endgame and sort of deal with all the repercussions that that spat out at the end. Um, for it not to be Peter Parker rocking back and forth in tears for the whole two-hour run, um, I think it was really good. Enjoyed it. I loved it actually. I think my issues with the MCU version of Spider-Man, in terms of the the actual setup, are kind of well documented. And they still exist, although they're systemic and they don't affect this film. I think they did really well with the characters, they did really well with the, the plot. It was nice to get a Spider-Man movie without the New York backdrop. That was different. Um, they, they almost teased that in The Amazing Spider-Man 2 when he was going to move to London and then didn't because you know they never made any of those movies uh, after that. So I had a good time with it and kind of eager to see more whenever that happens. Okay, can we move into spoilers? Any objections? Anyone else have anything to say before we dive in? No. Cool. spider sense going crazy. Guy can't even sling a few webs in peace anymore. Ooh. I'm reacting to this, guys. All right. Yeah. It's amazing what Craig can do with all those arms, isn't it? <laughs> well, pull a lot of levers. <laughs> 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 I don't I mean, really impressive drum playing there, Craig, with your many arms. Well, it's what I was put on this earth to do. Also, they're, they're extendable, so I can reach the fridge without standing up. It's best invention ever. Let's move into our Q&A section. Q&A. We have some questions from listeners. Or they're people, anyway. I don't know if they're actually listeners, but they want to ask questions. So I'm going to go with a feisty one, first of all, because that's fun. So Lee who actually has his own podcast and was on this once, asks, 8th grade was the counter-programming release when Endgame dropped, and now Midsummer for Spider-Man. How important is it for filmgoers to support the counter-programming release too that week, or perhaps prioritise it during this Disney-dominated era? Uh, what? <laughs> okay, so the gist of it is, 8th grade came out the same week that Endgame came out, and Midsummer came out the same week Spider-Man came out. So... Do we have a responsibility as film goers to go see them or make sure we see them uh, rather than get the let them be kind of drowned out by the Disney machine? Just watch as many films as you want. Seriously, <laughs> yeah. I actually do really want to see Midsummer, and I, I 
wanted to see it, but obviously, they still hit first. But I will be going to see the corporate show. I actually haven't seen either of these films, um, mostly because I, well, I don't want to see Midsummer. It just doesn't seem like my thing at all. I didn't like Hereditary, so I don't think I'm getting much out of it. Eighth grade, I meant to see, but I just didn't, uh, for whatever reason. I mean, I think yeah, I think the little guys deserve some love. Um, I think it's difficult because these blockbusters will always kind of take over most of the multiplex screens, and it will be hard to cajole people to see different things in its opening weekend. You know, when they could be seeing Endgame instead. I mean, I think if people have only got their, then you know, their one ticket for the month or whatever, then they probably are more likely to go off and see Spider Man or Lion King or something like that. That's out. Though Midsummer, to be fair, has been getting you know really really good reviews, which I think will draw an alternate crowd to it. Because there will be people out there, I know it's difficult for all of us on this podcast to believe, that I've got no interest in Spider-Man whatsoever. So, yeah, I mean, each to their own, really. Um, it would be great if people could see as many of them as they like, but if they're making a choice between what they're going to see at the cinema or not, they might pick to see Midsummer on home screen rather than, than at the big show. It's, it's really difficult. Mm. And it's up to the cinemas as well how long they keep these films running for. Yeah, is the other one. You know, if they run them in the first place, and if they don't run them, or if they do run them, I, I suppose, it's like if the ticket sales are particularly low, or if another big blockbuster comes out and sort of uh, around about the same time as Spider-Man, you know, we know that we've got things like The Lion King coming out soon, so they're going to swallow up more screens. Yeah. I mean, a lot of it, I think, has to do with, like, sort of distribution deals, which... Like we we as audience members are not necessarily privy to, uh, with regards to Disney in particular. Um, now, like to answer the question, um, responsibility, sure, but I wouldn't like to think of it as you know like an obligation. Um, ultimately, it is about what film you want to see. Um, and if, you know, your, your only reasoning to go see a movie is, well, it's not Disney, so I'm going to go see that, then, you know, live your life, but that doesn't sound very fun. Um, now, you know, Midsummer looks fantastic, and I know a lot of people who have gone to see that overseeing Spider-Man, not in terms of, like, making a conscious choice to, like, snub Disney, but it genuinely was, like, the better choice for them. It just looked, like, more fun for them. Um, and so, you know, I, th- I think the the question is, you know, can you make a movie that's, you know, good enough or that the marketing is good enough that will rival something as big as a Marvel movie? Um, it looks like Midsummer has kind of done that so far. Um, and that's great. But, yeah, responsibility... Sure, because ultimately our dollars, our our pounds, decide um, what you know people will keep making, what studios will think we like. Um, but also, like you know, I don't know. I like Disney movies. I like Marvel movies. I think they're fun. I really enjoy them. So you know, does that make me a corporate chill? Maybe. Shrug. <laughs> <laughs> We're all part of the problem. I think it's unfortunate that um, the studios, you know, they've worked out the equation of the budget bucks to box office bucks. Mm. 
equation and it's just kind of the it's the relentless march of the way cinema's going but i for one welcome our new disney overlords <laughs> i would say i was actually listening to an interview with bruce campbell recently and um, he was on michael rosenbaum's podcast and he was talking about um if they if any studio gave him like 120 million dollars he would make like i don't know 50 films you know and and varying budgets varying small budgets and you know half of them would be middle of the road you know some of them would be terrible and a couple of them would be great and he sees that as a better business model in terms of that but and there's maybe some truth to that i think it's possible that you know, it's, i mean it's been going around for years that the studios are spending too much money on these tentpole films and you know gone are the days of the summer blockbuster it's now like mm. the summer blockbusters you know it's a couple of weeks and then there's another one and it's inevitable yeah, I, that some will flop because people are just not spending the money on everything. I think they're just pretty shrewd about it, and until something else becomes the best way to make money from movies, they'll keep doing this. Yeah, I think eventually the sort of saturation of blockbuster bubble will burst, and then eventually you will go back to you know the days of Independence Day, where you had like the one or two big films a year, and that was you, uh, and there'll be a lot of kind of smaller scale stuff. And people end up enjoying. I think there will be a lot of stuff that is discovered after release, though. A lot of stuff that will be discovered, you know, uh, once it goes to 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 video, to use the older term, uh, you know, popping up on Netflix, Amazon, and and other services, because that's happened with so many films, and it still does happen that people suddenly go, "Oh my God, have you seen this?" You know, and it maybe only got a, a cinema screening for a few weeks, but suddenly it takes on a life of its own. And I do think there's something to be said about these studios putting a bit of money aside to fund, you know, like you said, you know, 50-odd projects could be made for the same money as, as one big blockbuster movie. Um, you know, I know that they'll, they will say that they do put money aside, but I don't think it's enough for that kind of film. And even if there was a fund put aside to promote them and give them the same level of PR that these blockbusters do, because I think that's where it's hit. You've got to get in people's faces. You've got to be in their social media feed. You've got to be on the TV shows. And you've got to try and promote it that way. I mean, I know a lot of the time these shows want the big stars on. But if the PR people want uh, a film to be seen, they'll, they'll get it out there. And I think that's the kind of money that they need to throw behind some of these smaller budget films. Yeah, could be right. Mm. Um, so, Lee, I hope that's a satisfactory answer to your question. You can let me know. Um, Kat, you said you had a question and it was a silly one, so let's get a silly one after the. <laughs> From Dominic, he says, very important, is there a gratuitous butt shot in this film? Um. He needs to know. Um, <laughs> to answer your question, Dom, um, not really, but there is a lot of skin tight Spider Man, so, you know. <laughs> does get into his boxers. That like, is true. There are gratuitous abs. <laughs> and abs, legs, like yes. multiple times. And which is kind of weird. And his shaved legs. So yeah. young, that <laughs> he almost need to wear. Uh, gratuitous butt shot. In what sense? I mean, what is he. Can he expect it, to see some booty? In particular, Spider Man booty. Italy's ass, Czech Republic's ass. There is a mention to the, of it. 
There is a, a mention to the old web shooter. <laughs> and lots of Peter Tingle. <laughs> there is some Peter, Peter Tingle. It's true. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't... Yeah. It's kind of light on the kind of gratuity, isn't it? I mean, Marvel films generally are. They don't yeah. tend to... They don't tend to go for that. I mean, you get a lot of lingering shots of Thor's abs, but I don't think anybody objects to that, I suppose. Uh, unless yeah. it's an endgame, <laughs> in which case people are like, uh, no, maybe not. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, when you look at Justice League as an example, there's quite a lot of, like, kind of bizarre, gratuitous stuff in there. Particularly with Wonder mm. Woman. Let's just shoot her from behind and beneath all the time. <laughs> <laughs> So there we go. Kind of a silly one. That answers that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Natalie, you, did you have one? I'll come couple. back to mine in a minute. Okay. Fire um, away. One of them is from Christmas. It is what was Mysterio going to do if he was successful? That's a good question. Right? He's going to be the greatest hero the world has ever known. Mm-hmm. Th- that was his plan, I guess. Would he get teamed up with the other Avengers like, then? Yeah. And then like, they'd be like, uh, an Avenger? you're kind of a VR hero. <laughs> yeah. He's a VR trooper, if you will. <laughs> he'd, he'd, have, guy? <laughs> he'd, he'd have been all right until the first genuine threat arrived on Earth. You know, he'd be constantly doing little little hero stuff with with fake VR heroes and then uh, or villains, sorry. And then suddenly a serious threat would arrive on Earth and he'd be absolutely taken out. He would just need to go into hiding for that week. Well it depends you, how susceptible they are to drone strikes. <laughs> do you not think though that the other the other Avengers would be able to like detect him for who he is? Oh yeah, I think anyone else except Spider-Man this wouldn't have worked. I mean, can you imagine if like, they teamed up with Doctor Strange? It's like, this isn't real magic, what are you doing? <laughs> well, it's not real. Like, it, it, well, he like, would they, yeah, would they be real? And can you imagine, like, Thor trying to, like, come in light now? It would totally fuck up all the drones. Yeah. Um, I think everybody else would see through it. Pretty much. Captain America would probably just keep giving him, like, pep talks. Like, hey, I know you're real nervous about this, pal, but it's the Avengers, like, don't worry, you'll, you'll fit in soon enough. He did, now. Yeah, if Iron Man was still alive, he'd see through it immediately, because he'd be like, hey, you're that guy I fired a few years ago. <laughs> There's no way Iron Man knows any of his stuff by his face. <laughs> but he'd have the technology, he would have had Edith, though, to tell him who that was. Or even just Friday. I have Where a question, actually, I have my own personal question about that. Yep. We can come to that later. Okay. Um, another question is Craig, and he says, thoughts on that ending? Well, uh, that ties in with one of my questions, which is from Laura that says, WTF is going to happen next. Uh, I think we'll get to that. <laughs> um, yeah, I, that sounds like a sort of thing that is more like, probably take a, a, bit, of, a bit of chat to sort of get to the bottom of it. Absolutely. Yeah. We will have thoughts um, on that ending, both Laura and who was it? Craig, my Craig. namesake. Yeah. Okay. Craig. Um, okay, then I have one more. Okay. And it was let's chat about the Fantastic Four teaser. Who has bought Dark Tower? What Fantastic Four teaser? I don't know. I've asked them to link me it. There there isn't one. 
There we go. Well, is there a book? No. So there weren't any hints or anything there like that in the, in the movie? No. At all? No. Not really. Lord Craig, has this gone past you? <laughs> I don't know. Did anyone else detect any Fantastic Four hints in the film? I know nothing of the Fantastic Four, so me if there was one, I wouldn't have noticed it. No, me either, so I'm stumped. I think I saw the Invisible Woman at one point. <laughs> yeah. uh, how That's a good one. <laughs> uh, there is a suggestion that, because um, you do see Spider-Man swinging through the city to- at the end, and they're very deliberate in not showing the former Avengers Tower. At least its entirety. You sort of see it behind um, Grand Central, because that's where it is. But you don't actually see the building. So the suggestion is that they maybe bought the building, but equally it could be anybody else. A lot of people think Norman Osborn mm. bought the building, which would probably why make would more sense. Why would he even sell it? Why would, why would, why would anyone sell Because they had their nifty Avengers compound up, uh, upstate where... Um, if, for example, someone like Thanos decided to bomb the hell out of it, it wouldn't destroy the city. Why wouldn't Tony Stark have, like, in his will or any legislation to say that it should exist as a monument if anything happens to him? Because he sold it before that happened. Oh, it's... It was in, in Homecoming, the building was being sold. That was the whole climax. It was about that. I don't remember that. Yeah. It was when the remote oh, control well. plane flew away and... Peter had to bring it down. And I have a question, but it's from me. Okay. Was MJ's hair going the right direction when they were swinging through New York? <laughs> oh, I didn't notice. Was it not? I think it probably was because they, you know, because it's such a thing about how Tristan Dunst's hair was supposed to be going the wrong way or something, right? Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you said, I was looking, was MJ's hair going the right direction. I was worried about what you were going to say next. <laughs> the real problem is. Is J. Jonah Jameson's hair going in the right direction? <laughs> I, mean, I suppose it's going in the right direction for someone that's getting old. <laughs> it's retreating. Uh... <laughs> going down. <laughs> are you what? Are you wanting to know about the fant- the alleged Fantastic Four teaser? If you I've, have I've, the I've had a, I've had a quick Google. Okay, so yeah. apparently at the end, when they are swinging through New York, they land on the ground in front of the old Avengers Tower. Yes. And in front of the building, there's a sign that says, we can't wait to show you what comes next, along with the numbers 1, 2, and 3. Oh. Suggesting, apparently, it's going to be the Fantastic Four set. See, I read that there as, we can't wait to show you the post credit scene because J. Jonah Jameson's in it. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, it's like, I think there's people reading a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot into that. But, yeah. But b- believe it if you want. Um, do you think there's a random X somewhere in the film that might be a tease for something that they want to do <laughs> I mean I don't know what, maybe when the fire watched. demon attacks or something there's a street light that falls down and makes an X shape who knows how many times did you see this one uh, four. Oh wow you oh, oh well, there we go. Confirmed. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> oh my god. It's all a conspiracy. I'm the clue. I'm the clue. I never knew. That's why you're pretending to know nothing about it. Like, oh, I know cheese. If I say anything, wow. uh, Marvel will have me killed. Oh, extreme. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, another question then. This one is from Scott. Uh, yeah, Scott Lang, Ant Man, is asking a question. No one will take a picture with him, so he's asking a question instead. Uh, do you think Peter's access to almost limitless resources gets in the way of what Spider-Man is supposed to be about? 
And I'm going to say yes. No. I think it really does. No. Because, well, my favourite versions of Spider-Man are the kind of self-made hero that, you know, he, he cobbles together his tech because he has no money and does stuff. So I'm essentially talking about the PS4 game version here, which is probably my favourite since the comics, I think, uh, other than Spectacular Spider-Man, I think. Um, that is a really good version. But at the same time, they've done it and they're not going to take it away. So you've got this issue of um, it doesn't make sense for him not to employ those resources. So when he's stuck in the Netherlands, he has to phone Happy because, of course, he can't get back otherwise. What else is he going to do? And he has access to that, so he might as well. Um, I just have an issue with like him getting handed everything. No, I, I don't think I don't think that what makes Spider-Man is the fact that he doesn't have resources. Um, what makes him who he is is the sort of hero he is, and I think that's still there. Um, so I I personally didn't have an issue with that. I think it's definitely here in this film, and you know, and sort of reaffirming his values and and things like that that they do throughout the film. But I still I still have problems with everything that kind of surrounds him in terms of you know all the other superheroes are, are clamoring to help him out and nick fury or not nick fury is you know really looking for his help because hasn't it been that way since his introduction into mcu yeah for sure and i think i tend to forget about it and when he's in the avengers movies or in civil war because he's kind of part of a um he's part of something bigger but when he's on his own i really notice it I think I think it makes sense because of the the universe that he's been put into at this point. I do agree that it kind of strays from the traditional path, and they've made elements or they've made efforts, sorry, in this film to sort of show that he is sort of quite brainy, scientifically gifted. He was able to work out a, a lot of different bits, but yeah, he does have all those resources thrown at him. He is able to use like the auto fabricator and stuff at the end to sort himself out of suit, but. It's him that comes up with the design and the plans and the way to sort of interrupt the um, the drones at the end. So he does still sort of craft himself, and I suppose the way they've done the ending of this film means that he might potentially lose access to some of those resources, depending on what happens. So, yeah, I, I, I kind of half agree and I half don't. I think in this universe, you've just got to accept that this is the way he's been set up. It would be really difficult to go, oh, well, he didn't call anyone at this point. I mean, even when he was sort of hopping between countries earlier on, he, he jumped onto the roof of the train and he got that. He didn't instantly go, oh, well, I need to get across the country. I'll, I'll, call, I'll call Happy and fly now. Mm. He didn't do it until he was genuinely 100% stuck. And at that point, he called for help. And at that point, he didn't know who he could trust anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because his phone's been tapped or whatever he thinks it was. So, yeah, that was a smart decision, a very independent decision. And that's something I want to see more of from, from this version, for sure. I really liked that he had all these resources to hand and it felt like a gift from Tony Stark that he got to just play around a little bit. Because a lot of the movie is him dealing with his loss and mourning Iron Man, but it's also him trying to wrestle with responsibilities from his superpowers and just trying to be a normal kid. So it's kind of like having those resources, particularly when he's on that plane making his own suit, affords him a little bit of like choice because he doesn't really have much choice in anything else. Um, And then the choices that he does make 
different parts of the film kind of regrets. So um quite liked that he had all these things to hand. Felt like a nice little token from Iron Man. I don't, I don't think I mind that he has access to stuff. It's a, a connected universe, so you can chat to other superheroes and other sort of intel people, and it seems to make more sense that he, he wouldn't want to go it alone because he'd want to chat to all these people who've done it before and a bit more experience. So it makes sense in terms of like this Spider-Man who, well, I suppose I don't know, his comic book Spider-Man also does this sort of thing where you know, he has a lot of like the Avengers and stuff that he can contact for help. Uh, so I quite like that he is making use of it. As opposed to you were saying, it doesn't make sense for him not to to call up for help in this world because he's an Avenger, so why wouldn't he? Yeah, he's typically a loner in the comics. I mean, it does change here and there because it's comics, but uh, on the whole, he, he's a solo act. He does his own thing. Doesn't kind of too proud to ask for help most of the time, really. Thinks he can solve everything on his own, or it's his duty to solve it on his own. Yeah, so just me that kind of has issues with the, the whole setup. Kind of agree with what the guys have been saying. I think that he fits in kind of with the way that he's been used in the MCU so far. And then, as Chris said, you know, maybe if he kind of has to go on the run or something after this movie, maybe we will get to see the kind of him having to rely on himself and his own resourcefulness in a future film. Well, yeah. It might be that people just can't openly support him in the way that they have up until now. I don't know. I I don't know if he's quite going to be forced on the run, but yeah, Yeah. he's not getting the support. I mean, if he has ongoing access to a drone army in future films, I might think he's slightly overpowered for what (laughs) what Spider-Man is supposed to be. Um, But yeah, it's, you know, a bit of common sense element. Yeah. Okay, so next question is from Awase, and he says... How do you think the MJ-Peter dynamic in Far From Home compares to Peter and MJ in Raimi's trilogy and Peter and Gwen in Webb's films? Very good question. Three very different sort of relationships that um, define, I suppose, the, um, the different iterations of Spider-Man. We'll ignore the Spider-Verse one for, for the moment because that's that's a different can of worms. Isaac, you go first. Why not? This is definitely the best MJ that we've seen on cinema. is really, really good at it. I think also it helps that this Spider-Man has friends who aren't millionaires. In the Tobey Maguire one and Thingy one, he just basically hangs out with Harry Osborn all the time. So it's not like an accurate high school New York thing, unless you are friends with millionaires. But it makes more sense to just general audience. Oh yeah, it, it, there's Ned and there's Flash and there's that that guy, whoever that guy was. The, the, the really tall guy who looked really grown up. I can't remember his Brad. name. Brad, yeah. And then, you, and then you have, like, the school is more school-looking. The bit of the intro where it's, like, the in-memoriam and there's the blurry photos and the watermarks and stuff. In the Amazing Spider-Man and the original sort of Spider-Man movies, they don't really get too much. It's mostly Peter Parker and Aunt May, or whoever the villain is that he's friends with for some reason. Like, he's just friends with Doc Ark. So I think this is the best, or at least the most relatable teen group that we've seen in, in a Spider-Man movie, or a live-action one. Yeah. I agree with you that this version of MJ is, is great. I always had issues in the Raimi trilogy because there's something very almost toxic about that relationship and the fact in the way that certainly in the in the second and third one MJ wants everything to be about her and kind of Peter gets dragged along with it and doesn't really speak up for himself at any point which is it's a bit odd and the I think the Peter and Gwen relationship in the Amazing Spider-Man films was really well done. Maybe not so much in the second one where Peter's just an idiot, but uh, certainly in the first one, 
Um, I like that this one grows a bit more gradually. So in the first film, there's no real hint at romance at all until, I guess, towards the end. And then this one, it's his objective is to speak to MJ and tell her how he feels. And um, in even one of the action sequences, you know, the sort of climax of that action sequence is him being relieved that the necklace survived. Which is just this little touch that's just, yeah, this was what was important. Never mind all the people that might have died or drowned or whatever, it's fine. But the necklace is okay, so we're fine. But yeah, I like the, the way it grows and the awkwardness. I mean, I think my favourite parts of this film were the kind of teen awkwardness stuff at the start. I thought it was really good. And I think this version of MJ is quite fun in the sense, you know, where she acts all kind of, she acts all tough. Um, except around Peter, where she becomes a bit more vulnerable. I think that's a really nice touch. It's like he brings out that different side of her, whereas she's always playing up to everybody else and it kind of happens throughout where whenever she's around everyone she's she's acting like she owns the place I guess but less so when, when Peter's there or when they're on their own so yeah I, lo- I love it and I think um, the relationships in the earlier films are what they are um, the, the Peter MJ and the Raimi trilogy as I've said wasn't a fan of it but Peter and Gwen was certainly very good as well just for different reasons i mean this is definitely more of a a teenage crush slash romance thing and i think it's been done really well and really fun i think the peter and gwen stuff uh in the amazing spider-man films i think was was really good in some of the best bits of those films uh but the peter and mg stuff and this is just it seems um really genuine which is quite nice um yeah i think they've got really good chemistry yeah, yeah, and a, lo- a lot of the school stuff, the school relationships, like Isaac said, it it seems more like an actual school. It doesn't seem like uh, like a college thing rather than a school, which I think is what the other ones have more been. So yeah, where, where really did good. all these thirty five year olds come from? Yeah, <laughs> I mean Flash Thompson in the the first Raimi Spider Man film, you know the what's his name? I forget the actor Joe Joe Manganiello. Like he's not sixteen. Or 18 or 17 or whatever he's supposed to be. <laughs> he's just not. And you, no one's going to tell me any different. Andrew Garfield kind of looked young in the first Amazing Spider-Man, but again, he's still like 25. I mean, Tom Holland is 23. Yeah, but he looks about 14. Like, that is true, but you know, I mean, age age is, is a number at this point. The Raimi, um, MJ, Kirsten Dunst version... Um, was very much like the, the, the two-dimensional caricature of like, here's this beautiful girl and she falls in love with a nerd and then it's like, oh wow, you know, like he got the girl finally because he's Spider-Man. And yeah, like I, I think I absolutely agree that there is something toxic about that that um, doesn't really like get addressed very much because, you know, at this point the Raimi films are kind of like seen through nostalgia goggles for most of us. Um, but yeah, Zadaya's MJ is awesome. She's very much like her own person. She has agency. She she is herself first before she is the love interest. Um, and I love that. And I, I actually like, I think they're so cute together. Like they're a little coy, sort of like romance blooming. Like it's just beautiful. Like she's super cute, like with how she actually, you know, does have feelings for him but she doesn't want to say and like she doesn't want to show it and he's like you know completely head over heels and just that kind of like cute little dynamic is just adorable um so yeah i i absolutely agree this probably is my favorite um of the three like sort of different versions of um yeah like spider-man's love interest for sure 
I think the fact that she's taller than him makes it look more like a high school <laughs> romance as well. And it doesn't, it's not like, it's, not, it's definitely not a problem. I just like seeing the two of them together and then, it, you know, it just makes it look more real. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of ties into the awkwardness thing because she like dwarfs him, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and so he's like looking up and just like, hi, MJ, I've got something to tell you. It's a broken necklace. Yeah, so this this is way better because it's, I feel like this cast is a bit more of an ensemble than you've had in previous Spider-Man films. You know, and obviously different characters come in and out. Um, Ned, for example, is way less to do in this film than he does in the previous film. It kind of makes sense, but you know everybody kind of bounces off each other really well, and you get the idea that they've, you know, they've they've spent some time together. They're you know they've been through the the ups and downs of school and dissolving and coming back to life. You know they they have that that dynamic and it's it's good fun and having MJ as part of that and I mean I don't, I don't think I, I ever had the opportunity to go away on a summer holiday with a school or a class but you know interesting interesting conceit <laughs> it's something that um, uh, we we commonly do in Greece um, so it didn't yeah it didn't really seem um, that out of place for me um, I. My personal experience was a little bit different because I went to like an international school in Greece. Um, but generally speaking, like uh, students in Greece, like in their last year of high school, will get uh, an option for like a school trip, either, you know, sort of like on a Greek island or something or uh, abroad. Um, and often they do pick places like Prague. Uh, or Budapest, or like, you know, just like an equally beautiful European city. Uh, So this in itself didn't seem that out of place. Um, Although, you know, like, I don't know what kind of resources Peter's school has. Um, But, yeah, I don't know. It it only just occurred to me that, oh, other people don't do this? (laughs) Well, not during the summer. I mean, we did have, like, the option to go on, like, trips here and there uh, Mm. during the school year. But, yeah, not, not as a summer thing, you know. You're not sick of seeing these people for eight months or however long the school term is. Let's go mm. on holiday together because that sounds that sounds like a thing we should do. A couple of teachers just been like, "Yeah, I'm not sick of these kids. I'll, I'll go on holiday with them for the summer." It's a bit insane. Oh, never mind. It's like what Kat says. I'm pretty nostalgic about the one that I grew up, which was Tobey Maguire, Kristen Dunst. But this one, this movie in particular, actually, I think deals with their blossoming friendship relationship so well and I was like so giddy for them like the whole movie because I was like this is legit too cute I think I think it was I think it's been done really well and actually I want to go back and watch it again for multiple reasons but I really really enjoyed watching them together on screen I thought it was really cute cool Uh, we have one more question that may end up covering or branching us into something else anyway. So this is Laura again. What was the point in having fake fury the whole way through? I don't think we know yet. Good point, yeah. What's the point for the purposes of this film? Yeah, I mean, I kind of had a a similar thing thinking about a sort of S.H.I.E.L.D.'s involvement in the whole thing, to be honest. I think it would have been more interesting, perhaps, if Mysterio had been the one that had kept moving his trip about. You know, if you hadn't known Fury's involvement in the whole thing, uh, if you didn't know Mysterio was planning everything and this trip constantly went wrong and was constantly getting moved about and it turned out it was Mysterio constantly coming up with ways to get Peter involved in what was going on across Europe. 
Oh, that would have been fun. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, I'm not sure the plot really needed Nick Fury to keep it moving. I think um, we should probably agree what we're going to call this guy, right? Because he's not Nick Fury, but, you know. Not Fury. <laughs> yeah. We'll just call him Fury. It makes, <laughs> makes life easier. But he's actually Talos from... You could just call him, like, Fake Fury. Fake Fury, yeah. Uh, fake Fury, I love it. <laughs> the th- the thing about it was, I mean, throughout the film, I was wondering. Like, I kept thinking on the first viewing that this, you know, they've written Fury really badly here, because he's useless throughout. I mean, surely Nick Fury would see through Beck's shtick pretty much right away, because it, it's not very convincing, is it? Uh, somehow he's managed to convince Nick Fury that parallel universes exist when they, well, they they may not, they probably do, but the, that'll be in like phase five or something like that but um he, somehow he's managed to convince him of that and then the drone attacks have got to be they've got to be easy to see through as well like if you turn thermal imaging on like the fire creature you're probably just going to see a bunch of drones you know a bunch of like thermally lit up drones so it kind of explains why he's so ineffective throughout but also i'm not sure what he really brings to the plot i think he was really badly overused as well there was just too much of him Hmm. Do you do you think that they added this fake fury on at the end of things because they were like, oh, we've actually done a bad? Or do you think that it was always intended that no, he I was get, that I get the character? It was deliberate because upon second, third, and fourth viewing, um, I was kind of keeping an eye on him throughout, and it was there are little clues here and there, and he's always acting the same as well. He never seems quite right. Um, yeah. The two the two clues that kind of point to his real identity is when. Uh, when Peter asks, you know, he lists a bunch of heroes that could do the job instead of him. Yeah. And, uh, and don't invoke her name. Yeah, don't invoke her <laughs> name. That was the other one. And then they're talking about Cree sleeper cells yeah. later on, and that's that's a weird thing for them to talk about. And there's also like mm. Maria Hill sasses him a lot more than the real Maria Hill would. You know, she doesn't really mm. answer back to him in previous appearances. So, yeah. Oh, I didn't notice that. You're you're right though. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I I thought that something was up throughout. I mean, I kind of thought that it was Mysterio's doing throughout. You know, every every time Fury would show up, and it's like, oh, well, you'll be an illusion or something like that. And I mean, he was, but for a different reason. It just turns out Talos isn't that good. Do we just have to wait to find out why Nick Fury was elsewhere? Yeah. I mean, maybe he just fancies a trip to space. <laughs> on holiday. Yeah. yeah probably. He's holiday. probably. He was far from home. Uh-huh. He's probably trying to bring a new Avenger back from space. But who lives in space? Who doesn't live in space? We all live in space, technically. Well, in oh. that in that space. <laughs> who who is he out there trying to get? What am I seeing him and Star Lord in a movie? That'd be fun. <laughs> I think it would just oh, God. be Fury getting <laughs> exasperated by him the whole time. Yeah, just like a buddy cop movie but where only Star Lord thinks they're buddies, and like Nick Fury's just like, the worst day of his life. Well, there is talk about we need to be ready for the next big threat, so maybe he's just out there seeing what's about and mm. trying to prepare for it. They received a signal. Yeah. I don't know. I've, I mean, I think the way it's been edited gave them the option that they could have backed out and just not done it. I don't know if it's because they were still trying to finalise what they're going to do next. So they were like, okay, well, we can play this either way. Either it's Fury's back after the snap 
and he's a bit rough around uh, the edges and not up to his usual standards, or we're going to do it where he's actually uh, Talos. Yeah, I, I don't know if that's how they had left it or not. Just to me, it seems kind of deliberate. That's why I, I kind of feel that doing these things and post-credit stings is a bit weird. You know, as, I, as, as much as I can be a fan of the little surprises you get in the post-credit stings, if you just watched that film and you didn't watch the credits at the end, because if you watched the actual, you know, theatrical piece, you go, oh, well, Nick Fury's just not on his game. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? That's that's how you leave mm. that. Yeah. If you if you watch the actual film, if you don't sit there and go, all oh, right, well, I'm going to watch for the extended cut of this film, uh, which comes after these credits have rolled, then you know it's not in there. I'm all for little teasers for future films and stuff to be in there, but it seemed like a bit of a weird plot point to sort of put in there. Yeah, well, to explain part of the movie. Yeah, let's let's explain the movie in this bit. Mm. And I mean, I mean uh, don't get me wrong, take the anything f- away. No, it doesn't. That. It doesn't. It doesn't take anything away by not knowing it, but. At the same time, like you've said, you put these hints in, you put these bits and pieces in, and then confirm it in the post-credits thing. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I mean, it's it's almost a completely sense. different discussion. The whole you know should post-credit scenes count as major plot points? And um, I mean, I, they were used. They were used in Cap Captain Marvel going into Endgame. Yeah. You know that that was all done via post-credits. Yeah, yep. but then she just turns up in Endgame and no one really cares, it's fine. Same yeah. as Scott Lang and Ant-Man and stuff like that. So yeah. it's all, you know, all those bits were all done off-screen in terms of the actual film release. Yeah. Apart from, the, you know, the credits. I mean, Isaac, you'll remember the, the conversation that was had with, with well, uh, Aaron, who's not here, and uh, some other people outside of the cinema were, um, were a bit of a debate over you know, can't they just end the film within the film kind of thing, but it's kind of my view that they do end the film in this film. You know, you do get the happy ending of Peter gets the girl and he gets to go and go and show MJ what it's like to swing around the city while being attached to him, which turns out terrifying, uh, as you as you would expect. And then you get these kind of buttons that set up other stuff. So, like, the 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 post-credit scene with, with Jameson discrediting him and stuff like that, that's it's kind of an ending although it could just be the opening scene of another film it's just kind of I think the film does begin middle and end without those credit scenes for me anyway I was expecting far lighter of a post credits thing because it's at the end of a, a chunk but it's also the sort of thing that everyone knows Marvel the post credit stuff if people are saying like oh I didn't know we had to wait till the end to see the extra little bit it's like well they've done this in like 20 movies like it's <laughs> it's kind of obvious they're going to do it <laughs> So everyone just like, everyone still sits around the way. So anyway, so the people who didn't stick around to watch the end bit, probably not that interested. Because yeah. it's like, well, they, they're probably just set to watch a Spider-Man movie and they go, oh yeah, and they swing around the movie, the end of the film, whatever. They're not going to worry too much. Oh, I missed some speculation. It'd be a bit odd if it'd be like someone who's super following the sort of ongoing storyline of these movies to not know that every one of them ends with a cliffhanger teaser to the next one. Yeah. And for those people, you get your ending as well. You get the... Um... Yeah, you get the, the Spider-Man gets the girl and swings off into the proverbial sunset, and that's fine. It's a good ending. So that was our last question, other than the, the stuff about the ending, which we will get to. Let's get on to kind of a bit of plot. So we got a bit of follow-up from Endgame uh, and the implications of what happened, and I absolutely loved that. I loved the um, the the, sh- the shadily edited um, recap, I guess. 
over the you know the start of the film with the with the song and the the pixelated picture of vision and the Getty images uh, watermark on on the candle gif. I thought that was great, and uh, you see the the band reappear during a basketball game five years later. I, th- I love that, and even the little the little references to oh yeah, there was other people living in my apartment when I reappeared, and that took some explaining and all that kind of stuff. It's just, I mean, it doesn't dwell on it too much, which I think is the right thing because it's a light-hearted film. I think if it, you know, gone too depressing with it, it would have been well, very different. But I, I love the the way they addressed it. And you've got Brad, who's twenty-one years old rather than sixteen, but he's still in that class for some reason. Yeah, I thought that was kind of neatly done of sort of explaining what it's like going back to school and suddenly all the kids that were, you know, several years below you are suddenly all grown up. Because uh, you can imagine that would be a bit weird coming back into that. I mean, the thing is, it's like, were they ever really going to cover the real repercussions of Endgame in the way that people said, you know, like all these people suddenly coming back at once and there being no food to feed them? and no houses to put them in and mm. <laughs> you know the absolute you know the absolute mess that would be left when that comes yeah. back and you know for spider-man there's their so, there's solution was yeah their solution was none of this happened it's absolutely fine move along <laughs> move along let's just, just not dwell on it let's just say some time has passed and we're over that now uh, it all got sorted out using paperwork it's fine yeah. you know there were no arguments whatsoever when everyone came back it's all fine um, so yeah, I mean, I kind of like the little recap, but yeah, I think I think some of the uh, repercussions were absent. <laughs> yeah, and the wink to the camera of it's time to move into the next phase of our lives. And <laughs> are the Avengers even a thing anymore? What's the plan? It's the you know this is all the questions <laughs> that everyone has, and it's guess what? This film ain't going to answer them. Yeah, you're you're not getting anything until Comic Con happens and we do a big panel. Um, yeah, it's yeah, I, I get that some of that was covered. I mean, I, I liked a lot of the repercussions, seeing the band uh, getting done and the the mention later on the the school teacher when he's on the plane and he tells Peter that his his wife pretended to disappear in the snap <laughs> had me absolutely hooting. Um, it's like you know that poor guy. It's like of course that happened to him. Poor Mister Harrington. I love Mister Harrington. With his camera that falls in the water, and he just oh, he goes through so time. much in this movie. <laughs> really it's just so tragic. It's such a shame. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, anyone else on the, the end game in- implications? Do you think they handled them well or poorly? Or with the single viewing I've had, I don't know if I'm completely satisfied. Like it had like a couple of really interesting moments, you know, like all the the the, the band kids like blipping back. Uh, during a game and, you know, just like, like like that sort of thing, like seeing some of that, yes. Um, but a lot of it is kind of dismissed a little bit as comedy. It's just kind of like, oh, haha, you know, like some of us are, you know, five years older, like, what do you do? And it's like, yeah, like it's it's kind of dealt with in the first few minutes. We laugh at it and then we move on. Um Personally, I would have loved to see a little bit more of that, but also, like, this isn't, uh, like, an Endgame epilogue. It's a Spider-Man movie. So, you know, we couldn't have dwelt on that too much without this becoming, like, um, um, you know, a different kind of film. So, So I understand why they didn't and couldn't do that. Um 
Yeah, and I feel like maybe if I watch it again, like I won't mind so much. I don't know. Yeah, I think it, it was more about the the impact of Tony Stark's death, I guess, and the fact that you see pictures of him and graffiti mm. and everything everywhere. Um, obviously, it's supposed to mm-hmm. be a thing for Peter because everywhere he turns, he sees Tony Stark's iron face. But uh, also, the world is kind of celebrating him as a you know as a big hero because I guess it was him that made that ultimate sacrifice and and made everything right again. But yeah, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of minutiae to sort out for sure, um, and I guess you get the sense it's an ongoing project with with May working at that kind of homeless charity thing, um, where she gets Spider Man mm-hmm. to awkwardly speak to the crowd because he's not very good at speaking to crowds. It's like, yeah, thanks, Miss Parker, for having me. Uh, Can we talk about the problem with blips? Um, mm. Yes. Go on. So, in a really interesting conversation, fresh out of the cinema a couple of days ago when we went to see the film, uh, me, Gus and Kieran were talking about things like what would happen if people blipped back when they're in various places. So, what about the people who are in planes? Well, I'd have thought about that. Mm-hmm. So what thinking... about the pilots? What if people had since died... Like, what yeah, what would, about, like, you know how, like, at the end of Endgame, there's, like, a helicopter that crashes into a building because yeah. the pilot goes missing? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, what about that guy? <laughs> well, I yeah, guess like, he's still dead and the pilot's okay. Yeah, but, um, the way I thought about it was, hmm. so it's, the, it's the Hulk that snaps his fingers. Spoilers for Endgame. I mean, if you've not seen it, why are you here? So it's the Hulk mm-hmm. that does it. So you would think there would be a bit of premeditated thought that goes in because... You know, there's all this talk about just bring everyone back, nothing else. And he's like, yeah, cool, got it, no problem. So you would think you'd be like, okay, these people were in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean on a plane, so I'll just shove them somewhere, like on, on land somewhere, and it'll be fine. Um, so you'd think they would just reappear somewhere. I mean, obviously not in the middle of the, the air and then fall to their deaths. So that, that's the way I thought though. about it. But and what about, what about if you appear in front of a bus on the road that you were crossing when you blipped? Well, you think the Hulk would just be like, I'll move them at the pavement. <laughs> but how can he move all Well, yeah, but he pavement? didn't do that, though. Well, we like, how can Sorry. he do that? Well, I think he didn't, because, bit... like, what we saw in Spider-Man is people blipped right back where they were right? where, like, when, when, they, when the first snap happened. They just reappeared exactly where they were supposed to be, and May said she blipped right back into her apartment. Yeah, so, so yeah. where possible, but in the sense you know, of, wherever they were, no, it's not where possible. It is like everyone has flipped back to where they were at that point. Mm-hmm. So if you've got people in a plane, yeah, I'm not going to assume that Hulk did a thing if it's not like on if it's not on camera, it didn't happen. Like, well, th- that's my up. head cannon anyway. Yeah, I mean, all the well, people I that just... were on the plane when the pilot disappeared and the plane crashed into the ground are gone. However, anyone that blipped out the plane, <laughs> did they appear on the ground later? I don't... Oh, yeah. No, they wouldn't. I think if they're blipping mm. the exact same place, the reality... It, it, dep- it depends, because count. like the band weren't in any danger where they blipped yeah. back, apart from like yeah. being hit by people playing basketball or whatever it was that was going <laughs> someone on. Someone might have a bruised so, face. Who knows? So, so, so yeah. someone's got a bruise, whereas putting someone back in front of a bus or several thousand feet in the air um, yeah. would do them. Uh, depends on like if you were in the middle of climbing a massive ledge and you were swinging on a rope, if you suddenly come back, all that sort of stuff. I don't know. 
I think that the the, yeah. the the rule that they're saying is that there's a bit of intent in there because like yeah. when uh, Tony snaps away Thanos's army, uh, the presumption is that he didn't snap away Glamora at the end because he knows that Glamora is good at that point, or Glamora has turned. So there's got to be like some form of intent in there when they do the. The click and the start. Yeah, but one of, one of the what's going to run through Hulk's head? He's just going to go bring everyone back. It's not going to pass through their head to to try and what do you do? Try and imagine that everyone is in a safe space because how do yeah. you do that when three billion people have disappeared? You you very quickly think of some really snappy legal wording that the the stones can't get out of when they bring everyone back. <laughs> I mean, they are just magic stones, so you know it's it's probably fine. Well, that was something that had our mind in a boggle. So anyway, this movie was lighthearted, and they swept all that dust under the rug yep. with this <laughs> sort of Comic Sans montage. <laughs> yeah. So well a, said. Yep. Yeah, yeah. uh, the bulk of the movie is the trip around Europe. Uh, you know, Spider-Man takes a trip around Europe. It's um, I did and still do kind of have my issues with him. You know, oh yeah, I'm going to leave the suit at home because I don't want to be saving people's lives while I'm on holiday. Um, that was that was a problem for me. But then, as soon as he gets to Venice and people are in danger, he leaps into action, which is what Spider-Man does. Fine. So it's like maybe he's trying to forget about his responsibilities, but then he can't. I quite like that. You know, it's the. Um, I guess he's fooled himself into thinking that he can be, you know, he can, he can have that kind of apathy when he just can't. So I like I like that. That that was good. As soon as water creatures show up, he's like, right, what can I do? I'll shoot them with my webbing. Well, that's rubbish. That doesn't work. I agree with what you said earlier about taking him out of New York as well. I think it was good to see him in all those different settings. And then it made when he he returned to New York feel like a proper sort of homecoming because you'd see him back there again. You know, rather than having a whole movie set there, it was like a sort of triumphant. He got to swing about in the... Skyscrapers again, yeah. And I thought they handled the the Spider Maniness of it all as well. The I can't be seen as Spider Man in everywhere that my school trip is, because people will know. I mean, people should already know probably because he's not very good at keeping his secret. But uh, I like that they addressed that. It's like, yeah, let's get you this kind of identical costume, but in black. That should fool them. Although Ned is really good at viral marketing. <laughs> he says the word night monkey once and suddenly it's everywhere. Just rebranded it. He went he went home, he set up a Facebook page and everything for it immediately. <laughs> Got a little promo army behind him. I need to get a Reddit about this because Yeah, because everyone must know. Sort of that's why that's why we didn't Ned didn't have much to do. He spent all his time on his laptop viral marketing. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, making up legends of the night monkey across Europe. <laughs> I, f- I think like you say it was actually as much as you know we've, we've we've made the joke about him sort of going off on holiday and not staying in new york and and you know dropping his responsibilities it seems like the kind of thing he would do to try and clear his head to try and escape and get away from it like he's earned it sort of thing and the fact that he then gets you know as soon as there's trouble like you've said he jumped right in it, even though it severely risked his identity getting <laughs> getting blown almost immediately. So, you know, living in London, every time that I watch a movie where London is destroyed, I'm like, well, here we go again. <laughs> All right, let's watch the London Eye and the Westminster 
Abby and, you know, Big Ben, like, get destroyed, sure. Um, so, you know, this one focused on mostly Tower Bridge, the Tower of London, and I have to say, that's kind of unique. So, like, thanks, I guess. <laughs> but also, you know, like, poor, poor Venetians... <laughs> Yeah, Venice. Got, a tiny bit, yeah. yeah. Venice got roundly screwed. Yeah, I felt quite bad about that. Poor Venetians, man. Like that was a lot. <laughs> and there was a gonna happen anyway. Square in Prague that kind of got a bit singed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've been to like that that Gothic bridge. That's quite cool to yeah. see, like in a movie. Yeah, I've seen. Um, yeah, they, they, locationally, yeah. they seem to do quite well. Certainly, I've been to Prague, and I was like, I've been there. Cool. Mm. Yeah. You know, that square. Mm-hmm. Not during yeah. the carnival. That looks amazing, though. But uh, <laughs> Not as amazing as a four-hour opera. No. <laughs> yeah, kind of one his travel through. agent, because he managed to get about into some nice places. But I need to travel Europe more myself. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just get Nick Fury to plan your trip. <laughs> with, with Dimitri, the... the <laughs> with Dimitri as my coach driver, yeah. <laughs> That's brilliant. Yeah. It's a bit different. And it's something you don't see in a Spider Man movie and um I was worried about how they were gonna address the whole Spider Man suddenly in Prague. Peter Parker's also in Prague. No, but um it doesn't get past MJ because she, you know, spots the webs. I don't know if they'll do something like that again. I mean I suppose this version of Spider Man spent very little time in New York when you think about it. Because uh, he kind of cuts about Queens most of the time in his in his first solo film, and he's in Germany, he's in space. So he even did a day trip to Washington in the first one. So it wasn't all uh, sort of roundabout his neck of the woods either in the first yeah. one. Yeah, I mean he's he's you're getting a, a pretty big passport, is Peter Parker? Yes, he he's, he gets around. He does get around. And with great power comes a great holiday. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. What do we think of Mysterio, though? Spoiler alert, he's the villain. Remember coming out of the <laughs> cinema? Uh, one of the hot takes from, from someone was, uh, I told you, told you Mysterio was going to be a villain. It's like, hang on a minute. <laughs> you figured out that the villain, the Spider-Man villain, known for trickery and illusions, you figured out he was not on the level? Well, well done. Well done, you. Uh, the only disappointment I, I had with Mysterio was, there's no jokes about his fishbowl head. Not a single one. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that outfit is ridiculous. I love it. I do love the co- it's actually like amazingly comic accurate costume. Oh, it's just fantastic. I mean, in particular, I've got to uh, call out to the the person that ironed the cape um because the <gasps> Janice. cape was Janice, oh, yeah, she was Janice amazing. with the cape. Well Janice. done, Janice. <laughs> Just steam ironing the cape during a Janice, an, a Janice the true hero. <laughs> but kind of like, yeah, I like the whole. So they start off the multiverse thing and and these kind of elaborate illusions. And I haven't really noticed this, but apparently during the attack on Prague, you'll see the fire monster attack a car, and instead of like having being on fire, whatever, it'll have bullet holes. So they're kind of building up to it throughout. There's clues throughout. Um, there is a bit that I did notice on my fourth viewing. It's after Peter buys the necklace and he's walking with MJ uh, and behind him is some guy in a hat and a like Hawaiian shirt and that's actually Jake Gyllenhaal. He's like watching them. 
Because I remember like the first three times I saw it, I was like, there's something weird about that guy. Maybe he's just one of those hammy extras that got that they missed on the edit, you know, who just winks <laughs> at the camera or whatever. But no, it's him. So quite like that of... he was determined to build a, an Avengers level threat by the end of it, which kind of addresses the standalone movies, um, you know, being a bit of a, a letdown between the the big ones. Yeah, and it's also a bit of a meta narrative on like on what it takes to build these sequences in the first place as well, like all the thought, all the planning, all the everything that goes into making them happen, even all mm. the people that go into making them happen, because he has like his entourage. That are you know responsible for different things. I mean, it 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 was the storytelling element of like them taking the Mickey out themselves, going, "I can't believe they swallowed up that all that." You know, people will believe anything, sort of angle, um, which is the you know kind of taking a Mickey <laughs> of themselves, but also of uh, our current situation in the media as well. Yeah. So it was kind of the double edge of that that I, I liked. Yeah, like fake news. Yeah, mm. it's like people will believe anything. And even if they don't, if you say it often enough, people will start to believe anything. So yeah, it's the he's got to cut through the static, and he has to destroy London in order mm. to, you know, to be taken seriously. And um, it was all really good. And I mean, it's another villain that's because of Tony Stark. You know, another guy wronged by Tony Stark at some point that's now become a problem for Spider-Man, which is hilarious. Yeah, which of which of Tony Stark's former employees do you think he'll be fighting in the next film? Craven the accountant. <laughs> Just imagine him hunting for those numbers, hunts through the the numerical jungle. I think Mysterio is the best Marvel villain, just because he's the most entertaining. And I remember saying on one of the podcasts ages ago that I was always disappointed because Loki never did any tricks. I was like, Loki didn't really get a good chance to like be the, you know, the the god of mischief and stuff and then this film yeah. just has like a whole segment where you have no idea what is going on <laughs> and I think like oh finally this is literally did this ages ago with Thor now it's just sort of finally caught up yeah that's actually my favourite part of the film is the, the whole illusion sequence where uh, Mysterio is just messing with him and you know you have the um, the fishbowl head turns into like a snow globe and he lifts it off his head and it's like a snow globe with New York inside it. It's amazing. It's really good. It's just such a fun sequence. And Jake Gyllenhaal, just really entertaining. It's also funny that he was almost Spider-Man. Yeah, he was fantastic. <laughs> he was almost Spider-Man. Yeah. Uh, Tobey Maguire hurt his back when filming Seabiscuit. And it was getting closer and closer to the day that we were going to start filming Spider-Man 2. And it wasn't clear if he was going to be medically fit to do it or not. Ooh. So Jake Gyllenhaal was in standby. And yeah, Imagine like, that. By days, apparently. I mean, there's different takes on the story, but by it's, reportedly, Sam Raimi was ready to be like, right, you're up. Wow, imagine. can you imagine? I, I can't imagine. imagine. No, I mean, he was a good bit younger then. This was in like 2005 I, um, or whatever. So, Mysterio is my favourite villain for Spider-Man because of the game that I used to have for the... I think it was the Sega Master System. And... Mysterio was my was my absolute favourite person to to battle with, but um, yeah, the whole ugh. see when it started and he's all like, "I'm from outer space" and like, "I'm a good guy," and I was like, "What the hell is this? What the hell have they done with this character?" <laughs> and then I was like realizing, "Oh, I'm one of those gullible schmucks that's <laughs> that's been told like, oh, they'll believe anything," yeah. <laughs> and I was like, "Damn it!" Um, but I was so so happy when 
when he became like when we saw him for who he was made me so happy but obviously pretty gutted for spider-man because he's um really thinking he can trust someone but i think their relationship is really really nice and you can see like monsieur really struggling with his conscience to to do wrong by him uh especially when he pays him compliments like when he tells him to not apologize for being the smartest person in the room and stuff like you can just see that he takes that on mm. such a personal level and really oh, every scene that had Mysterio in it, absolutely loved. Even he goes like batshit crazy at the end. Absolutely 100%. loved it. Yeah. Absolutely loved it. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, I need 100%. to see it again. He, he's, he's so good at like the comedy of it as well. It's when they, they revealed the truth and he just stands up in the bar and gives a toast to all these people and tells them all information that he already, they should already know. But well, yeah, that was a bit superfluous. Mm-hmm. Well, it works. I needed a reminder. It, it tells us what's going on, but also it, yeah. it seems like it establishes his ego. It's like mm. I'm really impressed with it myself and everything we've done, and it's you know. So look at everything I done. Oh, here are you, Mister Iron Man One guy. Uh, well <laughs> done for everything you've done. I mean, that is <laughs> that is a deep cut callback. Imagine that actor wasn't available. That'd be hilarious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we could have had any number of people. Um, How do you think they all felt about going from working, being disgruntled working for Stark, and then they end up working for this guy and he just ends up shouting at them and calling them out and <laughs> aiming drones at their heads? He <laughs> <laughs> does a really great bit when he's like, are you really going to make me kill a kid? And he's got like three drones pointed at this man's head. I'm like, oh, this is just the most insane man I've ever seen in the film. <laughs> that's the thing. I like that he doesn't have any ill will against Peter as well. Once he gets the glasses, he's done with them. Like, that's it. I don't need to worry about you anymore. I'm off to destroy London. I don't have to worry about Peter Parker anymore. And then yeah. as soon as he finds out, oh, he knows the truth, I have to kill him. Great. He reminded me a little bit of Christian Bale. An American Psycho, that sort of level of like nuts, yeah, and just like that really unhinged and bit like hyper intelligent. Um, I thought you were gonna say Christian Bale on set of Terminator. <laughs> that too. Why not just Christian Bale in all of life? <laughs> Christian Bale, this guy. Oh, <laughs> really good for you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, just wandering um, yelling at his. One of his underlings. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, I really liked it. And I have to be honest, the whole start of the movie was really slow, kind of bumped along quite a bit. And I was a bit like, okay, it's all right, because like, I'm interested in seeing how this Spider-Man does. But, oh, so glad it picked up where it did, because otherwise I would have found the movie so boring. So, I was enjoying all the teen stuff Mysterio. up to that point. It was it was it was quite fun, but yeah, it definitely does shift gears when Mysterio. Thought there was yeah, I thought there was a bit too much, a bit too much, and they obviously tried to cover a lot of different areas because there's a lot of fallout from previous movie. You know, like that's already been discussed, and I deal with the blipping back and uh, bosses and. All of that, like, kind of did a different movie for that, I feel. Terms yeah. with 
Endgame. But um, in summation, nah, it was good. Nah, it was good. <laughs> I I will go and see it again after I've seen my bummer. So there you go, supporting the counter programming. Good for you. I already checked when it's on. It's on at Cineworld like times a day for like the next week at least. Though we're good. Yeah, we're good. Yeah, if you're planning to see it, then fine. Yeah. Uh, so what else about this here? Yeah, so it's funny how the Spider-Man films have kind of the best MCU villains or some of the best MCU villains because Vulture is really good in a different way, uh, and Mysterio, good fun, uh, th- and I quite like the kind of parallel universe backstory because, well, it's not clear if Quentin Beck is his real name or if it's like an assumed name, because um, yeah, you could just Google Quentin Beck and then it would come up. Oh look, here's that guy who got fired from Stark Industries. Because he's insane. So I don't know. The film doesn't really tell you. He just goes by Quentin Beck. Yeah, I think it's the same reason that you never see Peter sort of using the Edith glasses around him. Because as soon as you looked at him with them on, it would go, hey, hang on, yeah. <laughs> what's up with this guy? Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, he is wearing them around him at one point. Yeah, but not activated. Not with yeah. the... I don't know. He's, he's like trying to turn over ownership. That's says some really nice good security on those glasses. Just yeah, there's no two-factor authentication here. It's just yep, get rid of this guy. <laughs> See you later. So anyone that sounds like Peter Parker can apparently give over control of this weapons array. What I didn't understand, I have another problem with this. I don't understand how Edith can ever aim at Spider-Man. Why is that allowed? Why is that in the programming that she could ever hurt Spider-Man? Um, well, I guess he'd. I mean, he didn't. Yeah, he didn't have to get control back. He already had control. That's a weird one. No, but oh. you know, like when Mysterio's all like targeting him with the drones when they're on the bridge and things, and I'm like, yeah. why is he just not like? That's not allowed. I guess Stark never thought that Peter would be stupid enough to hand it over to someone that was going to kill him. Yeah, but why is it in the system that he can be a target? Because uh, Peter could eventually become a threat at some point. So you've always seen that like Tony had plans to take out anyone else if he needed to. So it would make sense that he would always leave it in there that the you know, if if the system had to defend against Peter Parker it could. But why leave it in his hands if he thought that he could ever be a threat? Uh, to leave it to someone, I suppose. Mm, well he could have destroyed it. Yeah. I have issues with the Edith concept anyway. I think it's He wouldn't have. <laughs> I think it's quite problematic and also it's one of those things that would have been really useful in the past perhaps during the climax of Endgame it's like, oh Thanos, you have an army well I've got an army of drones so suck on that I think it's it's one of those weapon systems that's, I mean, you said it earlier Chris it's something that Spider-Man should certainly not have access to yeah. <laughs> at any point because it's like, oh well I'll just, I'll just launch a drone it's like an Assassin's Creed, you know, it gets to the point where you've recruited a bunch of other assassins and you can just get them to kill all your targets for you, you don't have to do anything. I mean, the last will and testament of Tony Stark must have been some sort of firm reading, you know. You know, to Pepper, I leave the house and my company. To Peter Parker, I leave access to this weapons platform orbiting the Earth. <laughs> uh, that's all, folks. Bye. <laughs> and my collection of uh, comic books goes to Captain America. See you later. Yeah. I mean... How is Edith any better than Ultron, really? I mean, yes, it's controlled by a human, 
but as we've seen, that can be used horribly wrong. It's still got the opportunity to go terribly wrong, hasn't it? Well, we've seen it go terribly wrong already, but yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know. It seems like the kind of thing he wouldn't have made after the mistakes of the first, but I suppose he's maybe not put as much automation into it as he did with the the Ultron robots. I don't know. No, but it supported to this version of Mysterio, so they yeah. kind of just needed it for the movie. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Edith does have listening issues. Is Brad a target? Yes. I'm just going to kill him. Fine. <laughs> like, is there no stun option? Edith. Weird concept. And I'm not sure what they do with it in the in future films, like they just could forget about it. Yeah, it can't be. We can't be trusted to potentially set off another Mysterio. So let's just put that in the back of the cupboard and never think about it again. Yeah, it's just one of those other star conventions that no one ever worries about ever again. Yeah, yeah, it's problematic, but especially when it's almost killing teenagers based on the half-haired orders from a teenager. Well, he's not a teenager, he's like 21, but you know what I mean. What about the other side characters? So we've got, you know, Happy and... Yeah, let's talk about Happy, why not? Um, Happy is... He's in this film, and he's quite useful. I think um, it's really weird that Happy manages to be in these films and do nothing, but yet be really important. Uh, yeah, I think I've had enough of Happy. <laughs> You've had enough of <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I know that he's there to, do, to kind of bring the... the Tony Stark nostalgia and for people to be like oh yeah remember him and he's got the soundtrack he can stick on the ACDC or Led Zeppelin if that's what <laughs> Peter thinks it is but um, yeah I don't know it's, I just I think I've had enough of Happy <laughs> seen enough Happy I like Happy he's just cruising around his jet uh, picking up teenagers which isn't as dodgy as it sounds <laughs> <laughs> just <laughs> Flying around in a jet. That's what he does. Uh, he's also not very good at throwing shields, which I thought was that one that killed me. That absolutely killed me. No, it was it was a neat little bit. I mean, yeah, I mean, he's he's a bit of fun to have in there, and he was kind of Peter's primary contact in Homecoming. As much as he he interacted with Tony Stark, he interacted more with Happy for the majority of it. Because so, John Favreau's cheaper. Yeah, much cheaper. <laughs> um, so, but yeah, I, I think he's a bit of fun in this, isn't he? I, I don't know quite the angle that they were going for for the with his relationship with Aunt May. That that was a bit of a weird thing for them to be doing in the film. But yeah, apart from that, yeah, cool. It's like Aunt May. Do you not remember Uncle Ben? <laughs> <laughs> do, do I remember Uncle Ben? Does anyone remember Uncle Ben? Yeah, Just you see his little travel suitcase it takes with him. It's got the Uncle initials. Ben. Yeah. But that's it. Kind of Tony Stark yeah, but Uncle Ben in this. He's dead for a while, so. <laughs> what are you supposed to do? There's a meme where it's like whoever the Avengers face next, just get them to be Peter Parker's father figure, and eventually like, eventually get killed. <laughs> this is true. He does, uh, he does burn through father figures. <laughs> yeah, um, I wasn't a huge fan of the Happy Bay relationship. I think it was, well, it was just kind of crowbarred in, and also I thought it was a bit weird when they were about to die in the the Crown Jewels vault, and he just shouts out in front of all the other teenagers, "I'm in love with Spider Man's aunt." <laughs> yeah, I mean, if they didn't already know, 
when they see him <laughs> later, like, wait, that's Peter's aunt? I wonder if they're the same person. <laughs> the only explanation is that uh, Peter Parker and Spider-Man are related and have the same aunt. I'm not happy with Happy generally. I don't like him. I, I've never liked him. Yeah. Um. So, so the insistence of keeping this character in the MCU and he's always just there and I'm like get this man out I don't care and now they're like shoehorning in this romance and like ugh I hate it I absolutely hate it it's the worst he's the worst I hate him um for any reason like you know he's he's a nobody he like literally has no he has no personality he's just kind of like like a bumbling buffoon but like not even in a likable way it's just like what even are you? Just like, no thanks. Um, and also it doesn't help that the two movies he directed in the MCU are my absolute least favorite. Um, and so it's just like, what is it with Disney and this man? And why do they keep giving him work? Stop it. <laughs> Stop this, please. Anyway, yeah, no. TLDR, no, not a fan of this romance. He makes good sandwiches. Oh, I don't care. I can make a good sandwich. Are they going to give me a role in the MCU? I don't think so. You never know. Just write to them. Yeah. And say, I can make a good sandwich. Maybe you'll be. That's a good application. Like, yeah. Oh, well then. Yeah, who knows? Uh, I, qu- I quite like the, the kind of function he had in that particular scene, though. You know, where he was helping. Well, he was stitching up Peter's wound. Um. And he was telling them, look, Tony Stark was a mess. You probably shouldn't listen to him. Um, he doesn't even get it half the time. And then um, the kind of knowing look he gave as Peter was playing with the holograms. It's like, oh, that's just like Tony did. And I liked, I really liked that scene. I think that was a really strong scene. Other than that in the film, I mean, he disappears for quite a lot of it. I think just hanging around May and um, eating her lunch and stuff, is you don't really need that. That particular scene was really good. I really liked that scene. So then Betty and Ned, I really like that actually. I mean, they get together in the comics, the versions of those characters get together in the comics, and um, it's just the comedy value, and it gets Ned out of the way most of the time. I think that, that they were fine. I don't think he was as good as he was in the last film, and that just made me kind of annoyed that he was there at all. <laughs> no, I think they, they definitely flipped MJ into his spot in this film in terms of the screen time and, and stuff like that. I like when he gets tranquilised by Fury that's quite funny Fury. Isaac you've wanted him choke hold you know Fury. oh yeah why do you like sneak up and then see Samuel L. Jackson like choke holding a teenager while like Peter Parker's still talking about like liking a girl but actually Ben Mendelsohn <laughs> choke holding a teenager yeah why not <laughs> that'd be hilarious it would be hilarious I love the teachers Particularly Mr. Harrington. Just the most tragic guy ever. Just the worst life. He's, he's keeping it together. Uh, and really enjoys getting his upgrade living. <laughs> well, the thing is, when the, the bus is almost careened off the, the mountainside, and then it's like, oh, baby mountain goats. We didn't just almost die ten seconds ago. I mean, it's for a joke, and it's so Peter doesn't get seen when he destroys the drone, but still, it's... I think that was the problem with some of the humour in general. It was a bit on the nose in a lot of places, actually. You know, where it's like, that joke doesn't work here because it's... You know, there's too much dangerous stuff going on to be making this joke. Know, they were kind of going for a bit more of that light-hearted bone, but then also you have to have um, near-death 
moments because we've got an Avengers level threat. Yeah, and the, yeah. The best joke was him dropping his camera. <laughs> that, that was a was telegraph joke. Sticky, yeah. yeah, I think mean, he caught the camera first, which was it's yeah. funny first because he saw the he saw the danger of dropping his camera, caught it, and then dropped it like when he wasn't expecting it. Yeah, and there, there were some other like lines as well, it's like speaking as a man of science, witches, and um, was it, when in Rome do as the Romans do, when in Venice your socks get wet. That was a good one. The only bit of comedy I can think of that's a bit on the nose is the baby mountain goats bit because, yeah, they almost died because Peter's an idiot. I think that's fairly consistent is that Peter is a bit of an idiot no matter what he does. He's always kind of making like huge catastrophic mistakes. Although with Brad, do you think they're setting him up as something? Like in a future film? Because he's like the only one that's really paying attention and he's only getting half the story. See, I, I thought I thought Brad was a bit of like a fury plant or something like that, like sent in to disrupt. But then they never really did anything with it, so I don't know. Maybe it's something they're setting up for the future. He'll be this version's hobgoblin or something, because we haven't had a goblin yet. How many appearances we had by the Spider-Man? No goblins whatsoever. <laughs> what is the world coming to? What is the world coming to with just no goblins? Does anybody have any other thoughts on kind of the the side characters? Before we move on. There's a throwaway little moment, um, but it is quite significant. There is um, the first uh, trans character in a Marvel movie is one of the kids in Peter's class. And he only gets a tiny bit of screen time, but um, that's pretty cool, I thought. Which one? Um, I mean, he doesn't have a name in the film, I don't think. Oh. Uh, he didn't have a line or anything, but he's, he's in the crowd in the the sort of like hotel when they get in Prague alright I missed that actually I didn't, I didn't mm-hmm. that. I, I mostly knew of... about it because I was reading about it but that's kind of it right, yeah. and you had a bit of a Flash Thompson as well that kind of touched on his loneliness you know he does his he does his videos because he wants people to like him because his parents are neglectful because he's rich and his parents don't care about him I guess you don't really didn't do anything with it, but it's there. You got a bit of that. I I felt a bit sorry for him when he when he got back and his parents weren't there to pick him up. It was the butler. It was like, oh. yeah. And that's probably ultimately why he bullies Peter because he's lashing yeah. out, I guess. But he's not as like mean spirited as previous versions of Flash Thompson. It's kind of played for laughs a bit, and and he's, I mean, he's not that hard on him, I suppose. I did sure. like the line where it was, uh, you know, Spider Man inspires me to be a better man and all that stuff, and then Peter walks in and he's like, sup, dickwad. <laughs> Uh-huh. It's kind of spoiled by putting it in the trailer because you've seen it in the trailer so many times now. Yeah. But yeah, I, th- I thought that was a pretty good or line. Or the more family-friendly version of the trailer where he says, Sup, loser. It's so obviously <laughs> dubbed. Yeah. It's just obviously terribly dubbed. Um, so I don't know if we'll get more of Flash in the next film, maybe. Who knows? Uh, with his family situation. Maybe he could be like that version of Harry Osborn because... We don't need a Harry Osborn in this version, I guess. You could use Flash for that because he is a kind of that. I was thinking that is like because he's sort of rich and around Peter that it, it sort of ticks the box there where maybe Flash wouldn't have in the past. So yeah, could happen. So in terms of the the illusions, the kind of action and, and the illusions and how they're set up, do you think it like completely adds up? I mean, I was. I kind of touched on it earlier where if you turn like thermal imaging on it, surely it gives away the, the reveal and gives away the the trick and you get that bit in London where they power down the illusion and expect everybody still to be kind of terrified of this this 
elemental creature. So it probably doesn't add up if you put it under any scrutiny. The one that sort of threw me off was the big sort of lava monster when he's throwing rocks at the lava monster. And is like, if the drones are inside and he's throwing rocks inside, then surely he's just been like <laughs> destroying the drones. It's either that or you've got drones pretending to be rocks that can then be flung at the lava monster. Yeah, because doesn't Mysterio tell him to throw the rocks? Yeah. So yeah, he's probably just had like... Or tells him not to throw metal, yeah. Yeah, don't throw metal because it'll break the drones. Uh, throw <laughs> these rocks, which yeah, these probably weren't rocks. here earlier, but flew into place at the beginning <laughs> of this fight. <laughs> the drones were kind of outside. I think they were on the outskirts of the, the arena and they were projecting into it. Like they were projecting 3D holograms into it because when... Uh, Peter accidentally shoots Webb at the, the Ferris wheel and accidentally hits one of the projectors. Like it's on the outside of it. Ah, right, okay. Yeah. I kind of wondered how they did with doing the Venice thing and whatever else, you know, the even the London thing to an extent. You know, it's a bit... It's, I guess it's one of those, you have, just have to suspend disbelief and then... I suppose once you establish that, um, that Mysterio is doing all this stuff, then... You don't really have to explain how he's doing all this stuff. I quite like they they did a bit more than like when we watched those cartoon ones where it's just like it's a trick, but then they never sort of put any effort into saying like oh how anything is a trick. So it's quite nice that he had like a whole team and there's a bit more explanation going into oh yeah this is how the illusions are working. It's not just I've made the illusion of I can fly and then they never explain how the illusion's done sort of thing yeah I love his mocap suit (laughs) yeah I love the mocap suit well the funniest thing is there was like set photos that leaked you know sort of as the film was in production and you had like Jake Gyllenhaal wearing a mocap suit and no one knew like that was actually the costume he was wearing in the film everyone assumed it was going to get digitally replaced by like (laughs) the Mysterio suit but it's just well it kind of is but kind of isn't it's Co- yeah, costume like, designer had a nice easy day that day. <laughs> yeah, so just put on the mocap suit. Brilliant. And he had his, his even bigger fishbowl that he wore during the like during all that. Do you think they CGI'd the fishbowl he wore in the mocap suit so that if they were filming outside it doesn't look like he was wearing a mocap suit? Yeah, basically. Yeah. It was although they had pictures of him in practical costumes as well. So sort of, I guess it depends on the scene. And it is funny how in all three of the elemental fights he just shows up and just shoots green stuff at them without explaining what the green stuff really is. It's like, yeah, I just shoot green things at things until they die. Green lasers. That's it. Because and magic. Ooh. Well, yeah, you get the kind of, it looks like the Doctor Strange spells as well. Um, but again, no one explains what they're supposed to be doing or whatever. Like, it's often a criticism against magic-based stuff, where the um, whoever it is using the magic, it's like, well, I don't understand how this works, so they can just do anything. And then normally, whenever someone gets them on the ropes, they just have a counter spell. So it's kind of like that. And, you know, it's during the fire creature fight, it's like, well, uh, to defeat this, I'm just going to have to get even more green stuff and shoot the thing and pretend to die because that'll that'll upset Peter, I guess. The one that I kind of liked, which was an actual one, not quite, was the first time when Mysterio meets him at, um, basically pretends to be Fury, that one, the sort of mind trippy one. Yeah. Um, But... I didn't quite understand how that was done. <laughs> that was the one that I was like, how did, you know, because gravity and falling and that kind of motion, it's like, how does all that work? 
So um, a, but I think a, visually it was really interesting. Yeah. So it was just a building under construction that was just filled through full of holograms and stuff. So when he was actually, you have to have like pretty well choreographed to be able to present to him exactly what was happening in terms of like his motion falling off a ledge and things, and have all of his illusions or his uh, holograms and things appear <laughs> exactly as they shoot. I mean, maybe that would make it more trippy if you're falling, but it actually look like you were falling yeah. upwards or something. <laughs> well, I suppose that's the, where the suspension of disbelief comes in. It's like he's prepared for this somehow, but couldn't really. I've anticipated some things. Uh, but I like how they built trick on top of trick on top of trick, where it's like, oh, it looks like Fury's defeated Mysterio now. Oh no, that's another trick. It's like, oh no, he's been hit by a train. Maybe that's another trick. Nope, he has actually been hit by a train. And now he's in the Netherlands for some reason. Which was hilarious yet pointless. Everyone's so nice here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they came off rather well, didn't they? Yeah. <laughs> but as you know, Europeans love Americans. <laughs> Everybody knows that. I actually thought that the action made good use of Spider-Man's particular set of skills, to quote Taken. Um, you did have the taser webs, which are, you know, tech, fine. And then actually turning his spider sense into a major plot point. You know, as this is how he wins, by using his spider sense and trusting the the Peter Tingle. As I, mm. I really hated that term. Yes. But, but it's it's really good because we've never had that in a film actually, in a Spider-Man film where the, except maybe Spider-Verse where the spider sense does become really important, it just kind of gets forgotten about in most of them. Yeah, it was quite a cool sequence where he was relying on it and just being able to see through the, the illusions. Yeah, just close your eyes and trust your instincts, and that's quite reminiscent of how he would defeat Mysterio in the comics as well, at least the first time. Uh, repeat appearances from Mysterio are really weird because it's like I know everything's an illusion. Like, why am I still falling for it? Yeah, once once the penny drops, that's it. You know, once Mysterio was revealed, it's like you can imagine him getting caught at first, but then he's not going to be caught after that. Yeah. I mean, I like the fact that there was sort of the hints that it had been playing up and it hadn't quite been the same since uh, Endgame. Yeah. You know, that his sense hadn't quite been working the same way, so... I wonder if that was a conscious thing, because he was relying more on Stark tech than he was his own powers. Mm. Because, you know, if anybody's wearing the Iron Spider outfit, surely anybody can be Spider-Man, basically. Because it can just mimic those powers. You would think. Yeah, maybe it was because he was emotionally affected by those events, so his general demeanour was kind of all put out, out of whack. Yeah. And um, I think it's quite telling that the suit that he builds, um, or uh, using you know Stark Tech, is more of a fabric suit than it is like a metal suit. That says a lot about like who he wants to be and how he wants to be perceived and and how he sees himself, I suppose. You even saw him consciously sort of pick what he was going to put on the suit as well, and he got yeah. rid of the the extra arms and this and that and the other. It all yeah. got ripped off. Where was Karen though? His <laughs> his faithful AI panel. Oh, from the first movie? Yeah. Or his little drone. Yeah, drony. Where was drony? Nobody really liked drony. Nah, I thought it was a bit too much, actually. Uh, and even then, the, just the, the running out of webbing thing, I liked that as well. Because I don't think we've ever seen that in a Spider-Man film. It's just he has... Well, his web shooters get destroyed in The Amazing Spider-Man, I guess. But it's the... It's a common thing in like the comics and cartoons and stuff where he's in the middle of a fight and he's like, oh crap, 
where's my webbing? I've got no spare cartridges. Oh no, what do I do? So that's that's different. And then he has to think his way out of the problem, which I like. I like it when Peter Parker has to think his way out of a problem. Yeah, that was good and authentic. Walks out with a shield and explosive hammer. Is it a reference? Maybe, maybe not. I think it was. It's handy that you have drones because it means he can blow them all up without really worrying about hurting people. So that's very Spider-Man as well. You know, the not having to worry about kind of killing anybody. And he doesn't even do much to Beck as well. He just punches his little globe thing rather than him. Because, you know, you, you could take someone's head off if you punch them hard enough. I mean, I'm not sure if I missed it on any viewing, but how does Beck actually die? I don't get, like... Uh, he gets shot. Yeah, he's hit by he one of the drones. Out. Is he hit by one of the drones? Yeah. yeah one of the bullets, yeah. I think. Yeah, he gets shot because he, cause he uh, orders the drones to shoot, and, the, and Edith says, you're in the kill zone, that's why we're not shooting. Yeah. And he says, just shoot. And so he gets hit by a bullet, um, and... Even though it turns out that that's like a fake version, I guess the real version of him still has gotten shot, yeah. um, and like he he bleeds out, I think. Because the last you see yeah. is obviously he tries to shoot Peter, but Peter's like mm-hmm. aware of it and sees through yeah. the, the illusion and, and deflects the gun. But yeah, so I suppose that naturally gets us on to the ending. So Laura and my namesake, great. This is where it comes in. I thought it was I thought it was a great ending. Mysterio having one last trick up his sleeve. Hmm. And the fact is, it's it's almost a lesson, and I should be careful who I tell my secret to. Although it was actually fake fury. Well, that told, told yeah, yeah, I think it's less about that for me, and more about like in the same vein that the the bad guy in Homecoming was, you know, sort of like a, a cautionary tale on like here's here's what happens to the little guys when like capitalism and greed takes over like Mysterio's story very much is about fake news and like the world now and how we are prepared to believe anything and if it looks real enough you know like who's to say yeah um and like it like that that mid-credit scene like just left me feeling like oh no now what? Because, yeah, like, that looks real, and people were prepared to believe all of that. And, you know, what do they know of Spider-Man anyway? Yeah. So, yeah, like, I don't, I don't know how they'll get out of it, and I hope that the way that they do get out of it is nice and satisfying and doesn't just get swept under the rug, because I would hate that. Yeah, I, th- I think it's a really interesting question to ask about what, you know, in, in today's day and age, where, like, a lot of... Like, we see a lot of, like, incredibly well-crafted fake stuff. And, you know, it sometimes takes, like, lots of snooping to figure out, like, what's real. Um, And so, yeah, just like, I don't know, Spider-Man movies making social commentary. I dig it. Yeah. And even at that, if and when he's proven innocent, it doesn't mean everyone will believe that he was mm. he's actually innocent. Because, mm. you know, people make up their own mind on which footage they believe, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, the it is very unfortunate that um, that Edith did say, "Would you like me to execute all cancellation orders?" Yeah. And he says, yes, mm-hmm. execute them all. So, yeah. Yeah, it's very unfortunate phrasing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. Edith, if he wants to cancel, you've got to ask him this particular way so that he says this, please. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Do it that way. I mean, I feel that like the reveal of his identity could be gotten round using like the usual sort of sci-fi TV trope where you've got shapeshifters around. Um, 
it depends on if Fury's wanting to reveal that he has a team of <laughs> shapeshifters because you could just get someone to, you know, one of them to pretend to be Peter while Peter goes out as Spider-Man and does a big a big rescue thing while fake Peter is holding a press conference saying that he's not Spider-Man. And I think that would sort of maybe get rid of that pretty quick. Well, I mean, even um, at that, there's like the holographic mask thing that Black Widow uses in one hmm. of the movies, you know, in, in Winter Soldier. Like, yeah, that technology already exists to get around that. I, well, I, th- I think that at least at that level, it's, you know, someone can go up and touch his face or slap him about the face or whatever, and the illusion wouldn't drop, whereas with yeah. a hologram it would. You know, it, it was like it would take further, you know, it would take a bit more thorough scrutiny than the others. I mean, how he's going to get out the accusation that's made is a different thing. How Spider-Man's going to get around that, I don't know, might be tricky. Well, I, can, I mean, I can add some thoughts on that anyway. The so on the identity thing there's an episode of Spectacular Spider-Man that's really, like, that does this really well there's a bit where just Venom turns up at the Daily Bugle and says Peter Parker is Spider-Man and mm. then the following episode basically what happens is that version of Ned Leeds interviews everybody in Peter Parker's life to try and find out if he is actually Spider-Man and you've got this you know some people are a bit like could he be? It would explain a lot and then they're like nah and they, they just dismiss it and then Flash Thompson's like no he, there's no way he could be Spider-Man Spider-Man's cool and Peter Parker isn't so therefore no not a chance and Aunt May's like am I being punked and so you've got this kind of yeah just because it's been outed doesn't mean that anybody will believe it hmm. so they could go down that route uh, another alternative is just the secret identity's gone because the MCU doesn't really care about secret identities it never has not from not since the beginning, mm. you know, since Tony Stark said, I am Iron Man in the first film, that's it. They've not bothered about it. Um, but the the murder accusation, I mean, he has access to Stark Industries lawyers, presumably. You know, he could get a very high-priced lawyer that can help. I think the next Marvel movie is going to be a courtroom drama. Well, it could <laughs> be. Uh, maybe Matt Murdock will represent him. <laughs> Uh, and Jessica Jones can dig up evidence. This is in like two years from now when they're allowed to do that. Mm-hmm. So that's a possibility. I think it's more likely that he has to clear his name, that it all stands, and that um, gonna make the fact that his identity's out there is going to make it harder for him to hide, and he's going to have to go on the run and somehow work out how to clear his name or prove that the accusations are false. I mean, Pepper has her work cut out for her with the PR issue that comes from the Stark Tech destroyed London you know, side of it as well, I suppose. Well, I suppose at the moment, if, well, if Mysterio is believed, then Star Trek didn't destroy London. Oh, I did it? No, he says, hey, Spider-Man attacked me with an army of drone Stark technology. Ah. Uh... Yeah, just, that was it. There's no, like, there's no getting out of that, so there'll be some PR issue there, but uh, I would like to see, you know, Spider-Man Most Wanted be the next film, where he has to, he just has to figure out how to um, win the trust of the public back, I guess. Do his apology tour. <laughs> that'll, be the, that'll, be, that'll be the next time he YouTube goes video, yeah. yeah. Just a YouTube apology. apology. Yeah. It, wasn't, it wasn't me, it was an illusion. They could obviously do the uh, the actual comic book origin of Scorpion as well. In in the comics, it's Jameson that pays to get Scorpion made in the first place. Mm. Or they could do like Spider Slayers, where every now and again, I mean, you're going to laugh when I tell you this, but every now and again, Jameson would pay Spencer Smythe, as it was at the time, to build a Spider Slayer robot. That would go and attack Spider-Man. It'd be this like bipedal robot with Jameson's face on it, just on a screen, just attacking Spider-Man for an issue. It's 
it's as God. stupid as it sounds. <laughs> <laughs> but I like, I like Infowars, Jameson. I think that's something they need to stick with. Oh, I think that's a neat way of doing it. I mean, it was great seeing him back as, as JJ and the, <laughs> the, the putting him as like this Infowars style character just spot on. You know yeah. that that in in this in this uh, Spider-Man universe, of course, that's what he is. Bringing it up to date, you know. I mean, Isaac, you predicted the cameo, but I like I didn't see it coming at all. Yeah, they're not going to get someone else to be J. Jonah Jameson. So just once in a end credit scene, he'll show up as J.K. <laughs> Simmons. Probably say something like, "Get me pictures of the Avengers," and then we'll never see him again. <laughs> I think we'll. I still think we'll never see him again. I know. I know, Craig. You think that. We'll, there'll be more Jade Jonah Jameson, but I reckon that is that's all we'll ever get. I think. Well, they could do a bunch of sort of pre-recorded stuff like that, you know, Infowars stuff on screens that could be in the next film. I think if he's trying to defend his name, and if that, if that is the theme of the next Spider-Man film, then you will get just tons of clips of him just constantly trying to to prove that he's right and take him down. Yeah, uh, and I, f- I think you'll end up with that. Whereas if they go on a different a different track with it, then you might not get as much. I don't know. I know that you're saying he's a one-off, but I think he'll come back. I think that maybe they'll get such a rise, you know, that people will be like, "Woo, that was amazing!" That they'll be like totally inclined to have him in the movie. Well, did you hear about how this cameo actually happened? Nope. Uh, apparently, they sent like they asked J.K. Simmons to do it, and he said no. Well, he, he flat out said no initially, and then they sent him information on what the cameo would involve, and he was well up for it. So they just got him into an office, put up a green screen, and filmed it in like a couple hours. A couple of hours. Yeah, and it was like the last thing they shot. You'd think it would take five minutes. Well, I mean, it took, you know, you've got to do different takes and, and stuff. You know, that's that's how filmmaking. Five works. sounds like a nail before pod podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that he probably he's probably done with the character, and even if he liked that treatment, I think probably would have agreed. Yeah, I'll come back, do this, kind of kick this whole thing off, and then bow out because I think he's probably done with that. Well, I hope not, because he's among the finest comic book castings ever. How frustrating is the end, though? In what way? It's pretty frustrating because you're like. Oh my god, we're about to get Spider-Man hated by everyone. How's he going to get home? It's pretty consistent with the comics, actually, where a lot of New York just think he's a menace. Yeah, but this is like beyond a menace. This is him having killed someone who could have potentially have been new Iron Man. This is true. He has been accused of murder before as well. Uh, I guess we'll see in, like, I don't know, when's the next film due? Two years? Apparently it's Tom Holland's final film in his contract as well. In his whole life. (laughs) It's funny about it, his whole life. It's like, it's the one role you get to play, Tom Holland. The part of the contract is that afterwards... He may never act again. (laughs) He'd never act again. (laughs) That would be a shame. Poor Tom Holland just, like, ousted from acting for the rest of his life because he played Spider-Man a bunch of times. As opposed to other actors that just never got any other work because they played Spider-Man. So, does anyone have any bigger thoughts on what might happen next? Anything out of the box? There has to be something out of the box. I want to see a team up with another young Marvel character. They need more sort of Spider-Man aged. A Ms. Marvel or something. Or Miles a... Morales. I mean, we were saying it would be good to have Miles Morales, but... 
No, like another, like a different superhero they can then launch off that's not spider related. I'm going to go with specifically Miss Marvel. Yeah, use use um, Tom Holland's Spider Man as like the Tony Stark figure has been for him, uh, for another young uh, superhero. I think that. No, on the same neat. level. Yeah, well, me and Isaac had this conversation a while ago, actually, kind of with the the five year time jump could have presented an opportunity to have Miles Morales already active, uh, because he's you know he finds out that Spider Man's disappeared and he's sort of inspired by him to, well, be Spider Man. So Peter Parker comes back and finds out there's this other Spider Man kicking about. I think who's the next gonna... enemy? Don't know. Like who's the next villain that we're going to encounter? Uh, I don't know. Craven the Hunter, maybe? No. Nah, Don't you guys like always know? Well, they haven't announced anything yet, so who knows? Maybe you always know, Craig. Like you always know, I even always when know. you think that you don't know. Um, could be Craven the Hunter if he's not getting his own solo film at Sony, like every other Spider-Man villain. The Wet Bandits. The Wet Bandits. <laughs> sticky <laughs> Bandits. Well, Sticky Bandits, because he's back in New York now. So on that note, we could wrap up. We can wrap this up in a neat little web. And go our separate ways. And I don't know. I don't know where this analogy is going. I'm just spitballing here. Okay, so Isaac, what are your final thoughts on Spider-Man Far From Home? I didn't think I'd be excited for another Spider-Man movie. Spider-Man's never been my my sort of go-to hero. Before this, I'd have been like, yeah, it'd be nice to see a new hero or like Doctor Strange or some other different character because we've had a load of Spider-Man movies before. But sort of on the cliffhanger that we've been given, I'm now like... Just make another one of those, like, pretty much straight away. And then... Mm-hmm. And I'm sure whatever we get next was... Is it, I think it's Black Widow next, isn't it, by the books of things? And that'll be great, amazing, fantastic. Because, and then I'm sure, like, that'll end up with a, a similar sort of cliffhanger situation where it's like, just show the next Black Widow film! <laughs> uh, Black Widow? It's a prequel. She's getting a... Yeah, it's a prequel. God, why a... do they bother with those things? <laughs> I know. At this point, I don't care either. It's like, all right, I guess we're getting the Black Widow movie that nobody wants at this point. Sorry. Maybe that's why it will surprise oh. you, you know, because you're not that bothered. Hmm. Ugh. <laughs> wow, the excitement. Uh, well, like, think of how much time, effort, everything involved in that, and it's like, why bother? It could be pivotal. Who knows? Nah, the, the money. The money. Um, sorry, Follow the Isaac, money. You were saying? Yes, and at the moment, I'm quite excited for another Spider-Man movie. I think there'll be usually a character that I'm, I'm never really bothered about. Suddenly, has become like the most important character in the series. Kind <laughs> of like, okay, I want to know what's happening now. I want to know how he's going to get out of this sort of jam. There'll be different films to come before it, but it's quite fun to be like sort of quite geared up for a sequel now. So. Yeah, bring on more, more, more sort of Tom Allen just swinging around and yeah, just keep making it well. Marvel will make I feel the same way. I legit feel the same way. I'm always bragging about how many Spider-Man movies there are. I don't actually know why, considering that like that's like the only one that I really super super knew growing up. But yeah, I'm excited for the next one too. And yeah, that's an I'm I surprised myself. And how many costumes do you think he'll wear in the next one? Eight. <laughs> just all the costumes. Maybe he won't have any costume. Maybe it'll just, be, it'll just be like him trying to get home. <laughs> just him oh, trying to get home. Just him trying to get home. Two hours. 
it's just like, maybe there'll like be the no yeah. Yeah, it's the yeah. Warriors, but yeah, Spider-Man. my God, yeah, it'll be like yeah. He, Go get back to Coney. He won't have any villain because everyone will be his enemy. Well, like that terrible John Wick movie where everyone's <laughs> his enemy. Oh, I didn't see that one. Is gonna this be the like third John one? Wick three. He's just going to be like hunted by this city full of assassins somehow. Yeah, that's what's going to be. Well, that's that. Is that be a different take? We've not seen that film before. I'll take. I'll give them that. Cat, uh, final thoughts. Yeah, a really nice kind of way to continue Spider-Man's story and also kind of wrap up some endgame things. Um, Peter continues to be my son, and he must be protected at all costs. Um, and I feel personally victimized. <laughs> Sorry? How young were you when you had him? I mean, you know, the age is but a number. Yeah. Um and also, him being my son is internet speak. Get with the times, Craig. Also, um, <laughs> what do you mean, like, there could be multiple blips? You know, or timeline jumps? Oh, I don't know about that. What are we if talking about just now? I think she's more if you If you qualify age-wise. Yeah. Never mind. Oh, okay. Month. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Maybe, maybe I am a time traveler. Yes. Uh, yeah, five out of five would watch again. Cool. Uh, Chris? Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. Um, like I said at the beginning, I was sort of pleasantly surprised by what they did with it. Uh, sort of put away some of my doubts, explained some of the decisions that they'd made. So, yeah, I enjoyed it. Cool. Angus? Um, they dealt with the post-end game fallout. Uh, not how I would have wanted to see it. Um but I suppose it fit the tone of the movie. Um, I like the. I think I liked the relationships between the high school characters more than I liked the villain and the villain's plot. Uh, I really like Tom Holland as Spider Man. I really liked MJ, and their relationship was really good. Um, I liked the the road trip aspect of it. It was quite cool to see them go on the road and uh, see them in lots of different settings. Um, I do like that they were going for the whole fake news or, you know, what seeing what people will believe if we present them with this kind of VR or, uh, you know, sort of virtual threat. Um, and it's, it was kind of an interesting angle, but, I yeah, kind of slightly underwhelmed because it kind of undercuts the, uh, I don't know, the, the real um, threats that, that some of the characters have faced before, that sort of thing. Um, but, yeah, I enjoyed it overall. Atlee, do you have anything to add to your final thoughts that you gave a minute ago? Mine? Yeah, actually, how did you read my mind? Um, I was wanting to give it a star rating too because you never let me go for like numbers that are like not whole numbers. So I'm going to give it a 4.3 <laughs> out of 5.5. 5. <laughs> 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 Let's not try and work out that scale. Maybe Craven and Accounting will have to help us with that one. Um, cool. Uh, I echo a lot of what Gus said, to be honest, but I think I definitely enjoyed Serial more because I'm biased. Like, I love him. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, I really enjoyed it. 
Uh, part of me wonders, like, what if they'd done the original Mysterio thing where he's, like, a failed special effects guy? Wouldn't it be funny if he was, like, a movie guy and he was like, all they make right now are blockbusters and superhero movies. I'm going to give them the blockbuster superhero movie that they want and destroy the world at the same time. Uh, I don't know. Uh, that would have been one take on it, I don't think. I think it would have been harder to process, but uh, I thought Mysterio was great. Jake Gyllenhaal was, was really good. He's one of the top-tier Marvel villains. I like the action. I love the awkward teenage stuff. Uh, I liked Peter Parker's arc. I like, yeah, I like. I just like almost everything about this film. I think that um, did a good job. I think the the Fury stuff, whether he's real or not, was a bit overdone. But other than that, I mean, yeah, I just had a great time, and it was an, it was just a nice, fun time at the movies, and 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 it's good that I can watch a Spider Man film and be like, yep, yeah, that's what I want. That's exactly what I want because Spider Man is one of my like two favourite things ever. So it's, it's good that I like it. Well, I would like to thank my entire Sinister Six for turning up and getting along rather than all the infighting that seems to go on when supervillains team up. Um, so I think we'll agree that we'll split the reward for Spider-Man. Uh, 90% for me and then 10% kind of spread amongst the rest of you. Does that sound fair? I think that you'll find several drones pointed at you when you say that. Yeah, well, I, I think Dr. Octopus would plan for that with his own drones. Natalie, thank Bye. you for being here. Bye. Angus, thank you for being here. Thank you. Electro Chris, thank you for being here. You're welcome. Kat, thanks for being here. You're welcome. And Isaac, thank you for being here. Thank you. I'll go put the kettle on. Classic so that was our discussion of Spider-Man Far From Home a big thank you to YouTuber Neil Stenson for the supplied music if you enjoyed this then web that subscribe button on iTunes, YouTube, Spotify or any major podcasting app iTunes users, if you could leave us a star rating and a comment, we would love you forever. If you want to discuss Spider-Man, Marvel or anything else, then hit us up on Facebook or Twitter under Neil Before Blog, or leave a comment on neilbeforeblog.co.uk. So, until the Marvel Cinematic Universe is rebooted using nothing but singing cats, make yours Neil Before Pod. <laughs>